Reading from Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to besiege it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, not a word you use often, chief of his court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language of the literature and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials came them, gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and, the, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of the King Cyrus. So on the one hand, we're all thankful, right, for the uh, lack of fulfillment of prophecy regarding a storm, right? (laughs) Good on that. And then on the other hand, uh, I feel like we're just a bunch of wimps. And uh, people, so I know I'm starting to sound old, but I remember the Columbus Day storm. And that was a storm. And that's back when kids were kids. And we were out playing in the middle of that storm. And it was fun. Uh, It it was probably crazy, too. But um, anyway, thankful, very thankful.
So uh, I want to, uh, big point here is that we fall into something in life called false dichotomies or binary traps or uh, false dilemmas where we think there are only two options, option A and option B, and we don't really care for either one. So one of the greatest gifts, now if, if you, this is what wisdom is, and the, if we can acquire this wisdom, it's a beautiful thing. And if you can give it to others or receive it from another person, it's great. When somebody is able to get you to think outside of those two options and look for a third way, that is where we should go. It's, it's the place to go. So let me give you some examples of a binary trap. Um, the, the first one is the most obvious one, and I'm, I'm going to touch on this a bit, and we'll, you know, I can't help it. It's, it's the, the context that we're in right now, the season of life. But there are a lot of people who are very, very discouraged, and I don't know, you know where, where all you are, about there's two choices that we have to make on November the 8th. But I can hear it, I can feel it, I read about it. There is not a lot of excitement for the two choices that are before us for president. And if somebody could come along and show us a third way, there'd be a lot of happy people. So I'm going to touch on that this morning. I'm not going to, not like a third party candidate I'm going to recommend, but there is another way. And the Bible is going to make that clear to you. Um, so uh, secondly, Jesus Christ, uh, if we go back to this drawing that I have uh, invested in over this series here, and we look at this old road down here, the old reality, and there's two roads on it. One is the religious road, and one is the non-religious road. And it seems like there's only two choices in all of the religions of the world, except that which is in Christ, are on the religious road. They want to make the world a better place, and you do that by doing things that will make your life acceptable to God. And the Christian message is you cannot be acceptable to God except through the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's another road here called the non-religious road. And so these people uh, like to uh, get uptight about what these people are doing. <laughs> Have you noticed? And uh, the truth is, is that we often find ourselves straddling this uh, in various ways. And uh, let me give you an illustration from uh, music and literature. Les Miserables, Okay. Most people, it's a good reference point. Most people know the story, at least, or, or the music from the story. But there, there, you find all of these characters in the third way in that story. You find Javert. Uh, Javert is the stern, uh, he, he only knows justice. He's full of character, but no grace. And when you have a person who's full of character and no grace, it's a bad recipe for everyone around them. High character, no grace. Bad. And you see it lived out in that movie or in the uh, stage play, in the book. Uh, and then the non-religious road, you have Mr. and Mrs. Uh, I call them Mr. and Mrs. Master of the House because I can't remember their French name, right? All right, you know who I'm talking about. And they are just so evil and self-centered and sinful in every way and despicable. Don't you agree if you've seen the movie? And if you say all of that, then you're probably on the religious road with me, right? Because I've just looked down on that group. But that comes through. The escape from all of that, those two roads, comes in the person of Jean Valjean, who is, you know he's flawed, and you know he's redeemed, and that he's living from a different place, a place of grace and the energy of God, is, uh, it's, it's grace that fuels his life, and Fontaine as well. But at any rate, in that, in that story, you find all three. You find there's a third way, that it's not a binary trap. And then in Peter's life, 
Last week we looked at another seemingly uh, trap, and that is that you can either lash out and cut off the uh, servant's ear, which Peter did when Jesus uh, was being arrested, or you can wimp out, which Peter did hours later when somebody accused him of being with Jesus, and he said, I don't even know the man. So you can lash out or wimp out. Are there any other options? And Peter is writing from 50 years later in his life, or whatever, 40 years later, and uh, he's saying, here's another way. I've, I've gotten, I know what's going on now. I didn't then, but I do now. And he's trying to instruct these people uh, on how to live in exile. So third way living is going to be essential to us if we're going to go against the flow. If you want your kids to go against the flow, you've got to figure this third, thing, third way thing out. You've got to get wisdom for the road. Having, having black and white answers does not help you navigate the gray areas of life. And if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of gray areas of life. Daniel is a supreme example of a wise person in the Bible. The only one greater in wisdom would be Jesus Christ. The only one who has more a sense of living in exile would be Jesus Christ, who came from the heavens to the earth, and he's living in exile here. But we find Daniel as just the supreme example of what it means to live in exile. Okay, so I've set you up. We're going to look at Daniel's situation, verses 1 through 7, his dilemma, and his wisdom for getting through that, his third way of thinking and living. So I'm going to read for you uh, some of the verses that were read. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar, we know from the Bible and from history books, that he was the emperor or the king of Babylon during around the year 600 B.C. And uh, he had, a, he had a, a great empire there. He conquered the what we would call today the Holy Land, and uh, that the, there was about a thousand miles between Jerusalem and Babylon that did not stop him from coming there and besieging it. And he takes things out of the temple, and then a few years later he's going to destroy the temple itself, which creates a huge problem for the people of Israel because the temple is where God's presence uniquely resided. And when that's not there, what happens? Well, this is where what living in exile uh, in Babylon is going to teach us. But here's the deal. In the, in the Old Testament, there's a verse, a key verse. Hardly anybody memorizes this verse. I challenge you to memorize it. It's from Leviticus 18, verse 28. And here it is. God says to his people Israel, if you defile the land, it will vomit you out. You see why nobody memorizes it? <laughs> Our kids are not learning that verse today in, uh, in their time. But it is graphic. God, when he wants to make a point, can be very, very graphic. And they had violated the land. They had uh, committed idolatry, meaning the love of other gods. And they had committed sexual immorality, taking on the sexual practices of the people who had lived there before them. And they had committed injustice in terms of how they dealt with the poor. Those are the three main categories. They were vomited out of the land, a projectile a thousand miles away. <laughs> that land did that to them. And um, so then they, they find themselves there in this place called Babylon. Okay, and then we find the, the, the plot thickens a bit. Then the king ordered uh, Asphenes, the chief of his uh, uh, court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the, the royal family and the nobility. Now these are... These are the best of the best. 
I want you to think if you if you have seen the movie uh, or any of the movies, I guess called The Hunger Games. Anybody seen those? You know what I'm talking about here? Only one hand, just one brave hand back there. Hunger Games, because it really matters to me that you. Yeah, I I only saw the first one and that was enough for me. But uh, it it proves it's exactly what's going on here. From the various areas of the empire, not just Judea or Israel, but from all these different areas, you're going to have young people, the best of the best. These are the plateau kids of that century. Going, kids from Skyline and Eastlake and Issaquah, and I don't want to leave anybody out, but you know who you are. These are the noblest and the best of kids. And they're there at 14 years old. These are just boys. That was how it was back then. Just boys, but um, they're there to be trained for three years. And listen to what they get trained in. And imagine yourself at 14 years old being taken into exile a thousand miles from home. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and, and wine from the king's table. And they were trained for three years. So that's, that's the amount of time that Jesus took to disciple his disciples, his twelve. Three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Okay, so here's what these young men are. This is kind of what is new to them. They're in a new land. They're in a new culture. They have uh, new education, new food, and new names. I'm not going to go into all of these, but I just want you to see how much that they... Now, you'd think their identity would be at stake, and it is if in that place. They're, what does it mean to not go with the flow when all of that stuff is, is happening to you? And I didn't mention religion, but religion would be included in the education culture piece. And so they are going to have to learn magic and sorcery, and astrology, and the great myths of the Babylonian culture. And all of that stuff was off limits, if we read the Old Testament in in its entirety. So they're going to have to do some things that are very, very much, I guess you call it edgy, in in, uh, where they're coming from. What's weird is that food is the one that becomes the big issue, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But I want to go to names first. So names are very, very important in the Bible. And so, verse 6, Among them, this is where we hear these names for the first time, Among them from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So each one of those names ends with either E-L or A-H. E-L is the Hebrew name for God, and A-H is the shortened version of Yah, which is we, from which we understand the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means Lord. So whenever you heard your name called, you would hear something about God or something about Lord. And uh, it's a reminder to you. Names are so important in, in the scripture that you're reminded of your identity as your name is called out by your mother, father, friends, or whoever. So Daniel's name, Daniel, would mean um, God is my judge. God is my judge. So every time you hear your name, uh, you know, maybe you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Well, that's a good reminder. God is my judge. But what happens then is his new name is Belteshazzar, which means Bel, the god of the, uh, the great god of of the uh, uh, Babylonians, will protect. Bel will protect. 
So you go from God is my judge to Bell will protect. And the way it worked in that time was if you were able to conquer a temple and take the things out of the temple that were holy and bring them into your temple where your God ruled, that means your God is greater than the conquered God. In other words, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, Bel is greater than Yah or El. So it's, things are not looking good. Uh, and, but just imagine how Daniel or these young men would have felt as they hear their new names. And the point, the, the reason I'm bringing all this up is just to make the point that what is the big deal about food if you've got all of that going on? And yet that's what gets underlined in the story, as, as you heard it read, is it's all about food and not this other stuff. And it creates kind of a, a question. So we're going to go to the dilemma. Let's get back here, just show you the outline to the, the, the whole uh, dilemma thing. Let me read to you from verses 8 through 10. But Daniel resolved um, not to defile himself. So defile is a very strong word. He's not going to defile himself. And he resolved. That word resolve is super strong. It means to, uh, to, to sit upon. I'm, I'm, I'm just not going there. Okay. So he's resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and the royal food would have it often gets translated rich food, and so implying meat and uh, and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. So we get a picture of who Daniel is here, personality-wise. He is likable. He is winsome. He is respectful. He, there's something about him that, you'll see it his whole life if you read the book, that there's something about Daniel that people uh, like and respect. But this official who had this favor towards him that came from God uh, told Daniel, I am afraid, my lord, the king, who has, uh, who has assigned your food and drink? Uh, it's the lord, the king has. And, and why should he... Uh, see you looking worse than the other man. So he's fearful that they're going to not eat the right food and they're going to eat some other food, which we, it turns out to be vegetables. If you're a 14-year-old boy, that may not sound like your idea of fun, but that's what they end up having to eat, is vegetables. And, um, and so he's concerned that his head will, uh, the king would then have my head because of you. So if you guys don't look good after you know, a while, you, things are not going to be good for me. So it's whatever this food is, here's the point. Whatever this food thing is, why it's underlined up on the screen there is because it's a big deal, first of all, to this chief steward or official. Big deal to him. I mean, his life's on the line, right? And when it says his, his, his job may be terminated, it's more like he may be terminated. It heads off. You know, it's just that's the way it worked. So he's very concerned about this, but it's also a big concern to Daniel. And the question that commentators wrestle with is why, is, why this? Why food and not names? Or why, why, why not some of the other practices that were not part of Israel? Why such a big deal about food? So let me give you a few theories here that get thrown out there. The first is that food in Israel was always a big deal. 
and you had purity laws on what you would eat and what you would not eat. And if you've read Leviticus, you, you shake your head sometimes. Why all of that? But it, food isn't just food. It's a pointer to the purity of God. And his people were to be set apart. And so they were to eat certain foods, not eat certain foods. The problem with that theory, and we, when we went to Israel, by the way, uh, if you've been to Israel and you're flying on the plane, there's lots, of, there's lots of Jews that are going to Israel, along with those of us who are not Jewish. And they get the kosher food tray. And then the rest of us get, you know, hamburgers and whatever, you know, whatever they had. I don't remember. But the point is that they, they have a, it's a big deal about food. But the, the thing is, is that meat and wine are not off limits to Israel in the Old Testament. Aren't you glad? Come on. Come on. I've seen some of you <laughs> eating meat. No. Okay. Um, it's, it, it, it's not off limits. The meat and the wine are part of life in the Old Testament. So what? That doesn't seem to fit. And so let, here's two theories that might help us understand. One is a political theory that because uh, the king uh, politically was considered to be absolute, that if you were to eat from his table, you were giving ultimate allegiance to his authority and Daniel had something inside of him that at least with the king's food, it, it implied that his heart was the king's heart and he just could not go there. And it, it reminds me, I, I think I've shared this before, but when our son was sworn into the Air Force, uh, and, uh, it's an amazing ceremony. It's a very, if you've, never, if you've ever seen this, it's a very powerful thing when you're sworn into the armed forces. Because the language, I didn't know what I was getting into. I knew it was, but you're taking an oath. And the Bible says to be very careful when you take oaths, right? Larry, you know this. But it, in there it says that you are, you're going to stand, you know, your, your, your allegiance belongs to this country and you're going to stand against any uh, enemies, whether foreign or domestic. And, I, and I'm, all, I'm good with that love and I love the whole ceremony, but I, there's part of me that wanted to stand up. Hey, the kingdom of God! What about the kingdom of God? That should be first! But I didn't want to embarrass my son. I did not do that. But it, it is true. It is true. There should be no allegiance before the kingdom of God. And that's why you're walking in exile in this world. Okay, so there's the political explanation. There's a theological explanation that some bring in as well. And it is sort of like this. that this, You don't want to confuse that somehow God revealed to Daniel that, that he was going to be the one who directed his life and that if Daniel looked better or did better on the test and his friends did better on the test than any of the others, it's not because of the food, it's because of God. So it's a little bit like Samson's hair, if you know that story, where that, it wasn't really his hair that was the source of his strength, but it was, that God, it was a symbol of God's strength in him, and he just couldn't go there because of his allegiance to God. The truth is in there somewhere. But for some, you know, not clear reason, totally clear reason, Daniel will not eat the king's food. And he is resolved. And it creates a very, very thick dilemma for him. And there's just, you know, two ways of, okay, binary trap time. Do I, do I go on a hunger strike? Do I fight this thing? Or do I go along? Do I lash out or do I wimp out? And that's, that's kind of what we would see here if we just look, you know, with, with uh, shallow vision upon this story. But Daniel has 
uh, a beautiful uh, thing that he does. And we read about it in verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard, now the guard is not the same as the chief uh, official. This is the guy under the chief official. The chief official really liked Daniel. He really wanted to help him. And, uh, you know, he had favor, all, all that stuff, but he wouldn't do it. He was too afraid. So Daniel doesn't stop there. He's, he's got enough, whatever, moxie or chutzpah or whatever the word is inside of him. He's, he's going to try again. And he goes to this guard who is under the chief official and he proposes something. And it's, it's a very simple plan. It's low risk to the guard, which that's smart. That's very smart. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test. He wants a test. That's all I'm asking. Test for 10 days. And we're not going to eat anything but vegetables for 10 days. And vegetables, by the way, it's, it's anything grown from seeds. So it includes just details, but it includes nuts, grains, and fruits, okay? In case you're wondering. But that's all they're going to eat for 10 days. And then just see what happens. It's a beautiful plan. This is third way thinking, third way living. It's the stuff you've got to do if you're going to survive in the world. And it's, it's low risk to the, uh, it's high risk for Daniel, at, but, or it's at least not no risk because who knows what, what's going to happen. But, and also notice this about Daniel. He does it quietly, behind the scenes, gently. No one's going to get, it, it, it's just beautiful the way he does it. Not just what he does, but it's the way. That's part of third way living. There's no grandstanding. There no, there's no saying the system is rigged. You've heard that recently. There's no blaming other people. Like, why can't we eat what we want to eat? It's their, it's their fault. It's just quiet, quiet little negotiations behind the scenes, trusting God for the results. And here's the beauty of Daniel in his life, is that he never promotes himself. He's just faithful along the way. And he comes to these points in his life, and then the three other characters in the story, the three other, they're the ones, the, the, the fiery furnace boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it's in Daniel as well. This thing about, I'm just, I'm just passing through. We're here for a while. And we're going to try to bless this city. We're going to try to do the best we can. And King, we want to support you. We want to honor you. We want to pray for you. But there's certain things we cannot do. And if you're going to ask us to bow down to you, and if you're threatening to throw us into the furnace, here's the deal. We know that our God is able to save us. And then listen to this one. The kicker is, and even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't save us, we're good. That is underlying Daniel's life. And you see it from this 14 years old until he's 80 when he's threatened with the lion's den. That's a, and then the end of the story is just, it's, it's, it sounds a little bit fairy tale-ish, but just let it come over you and, and say, yeah, I'm glad that happened. So Daniel, they do it, 10 days pass, he looks, they look better than anybody. They, they, the, the vegetables, let's hear it for vegetables, moms, come on. Yep. Don't, that'd be the worst thing that you could do, though, is go away from here and, and say, now we're not eating pizza anymore, we're just going to eat vegetables, because that misses the point. But uh, they, they look better and healthier than all the rest, and after they go through the three-year program, they are ten times uh, more, with more wisdom and understanding than the rest. So it's, it's a beautiful thing what happens when you follow God. And then Daniel, he 
lives, or he serves as a public servant. Get this. He, he serves as a public servant for 60 years. And you know what we would say, because of our cynicism, we need term limits on stuff like that, right? That's, that's what we think. I mean, that says a lot about us. 60 years, and he became the prime minister, the secretary of state, something like that in that world, right under the king. So when Jesus said to him who is trusted with a little and they're faithful, like food, to me that's little, and then you, you get, if you're faithful there, then you're entrusted with the big stuff. So, all right, two uh, observations that kind of bring it back down to where we live. The first is that this quality of Daniel to have soft edges and a firm center of his life. He was soft around the edges. He was uh, flexible on a lot of things that I would think would be very, very hard to be flexible on. And he honored the king, and he prayed for the king. You see that in the rest of the book more than you do here, but it's true about Daniel. He does what Peter says. You honor and pray for the king. And you submit as much as you can to the king. He does all of that stuff. It's good. But he's also not flexible on a key point for him, which was this food issue. He's drawn the line there. He's got resolve there. It's fixed. There's no way he's going to break what he knows to be the truth. And so I, I just, I don't know what it is for us. It's not food, that's for sure. But there are things in our lives where we've got to have stuff where we say, I'm just not going there. I can't go there. I don't want my kids to go there. That's evil. I'm not going to go there, period. I don't care what happens. If I, it, it, my life depends on this decision, so be it. God is able to save, but even if he doesn't, I'm going with God. You've got to have that resolve in your life on something. It, or you're just, there's, you know, you're, you're soft all the way to the center. You've got to have a firmness in the center. Now that firmness, secondly, is rooted and founded in something that is eternal, which makes you an exile. We call that the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus called it, the kingdom of God. And you know that, uh, that everything you see in this world isn't all there is. And it, we're going to talk about politics here just real quickly. Uh, you, you know that you are to work, as in Daniel, you work for the betterment of that world that you live in. You work for the, the good of the city. You, go, you do all of that stuff. You pray for the king. You honor the king or the president, whoever it is. You do all of that. And you know, because of that, you know that politics is a legitimate pursuit for God's people that it's okay, that it's good to serve in public, for the public, but you also know that it is not the ultimate source of strength or hope for this world. In other words, you're not going to be cynical towards politics, but you're not going to be utopian about politics and what it can do. And in there is a third way. That's what this, is, this third way thing is all about. Is It's not about cynicism. It's not about naivete. It's about finding that way where only God can make sense of it all. Now, uh, here's the test for us that I want to put before you. On November the 9th, we're all going to wake up. It's not that far away. And on November the 9th, I, I want something for you, a third way. 
And the, the two ways that are there for you is regardless or depending on who wins, you will either be elated because your team won or you will be deflated because your team lost. And when your feet hit the floor that morning, I would love it if you would commit to getting on your knees and say, thank God, Jesus is still king. And therefore, I can honor and pray for whoever that is. You got that? That is simple biblical truth that you can apply that will take you out of your cynicism and out of your utopianism and firmly plant you into the actions of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, who sees all things, would you search our hearts right now? Would you expose areas, Lord, where we have compromised the core of who we are, the center of who we are, where we have not only been soft on the edges, but we've been soft in the center, where we have just let things happen, where we've been too passive, where we've wimped out. And when we ask you to forgive us, forgive us, Lord, by your grace. And we pray for strength to do better next time, to stand firm in the true grace of God. Give us wisdom too, Lord. Would you give us the wisdom of Daniel to know when to be flexible and to know when to stand firm? We need that. We cannot just come up with that on our own. To have soft edges and a firm center. And now I just want to pause, Lord, and allow you to speak into hearts as we hear before you and to give our hearts to allow us to give our hearts to you again right now. We lift them to you. Breathe life into our hearts. Speak words of truth and grace into our hearts. And let us know, Lord, how much you love us and how real your kingdom is. Come, Lord Jesus, we stand in need of you. Amen.